Welcome to The Greg Bennett Show. I'm your host, Greg Bennett. And today I have a wonderful chat with the very cool, powerful and versatile triathlete, Ben Canute. And in this episode, Ben dissects his recent sixth place at the Ironman 70.3 World Championships and his 2021 season as a whole. He then shares his journey into the sport of triathlon, starting at the age of seven, if you can believe it, watching his dad compete in the Chicago Triathlon and just the incredible triathlon community he was surrounded with. It was always meant to be. Ben discusses the importance of his family and just how grateful he is for finding his wife, Courtney. He shares training and gives plenty of great advice in this one. We have some fun with some rapid fire questions and Ben points out the importance of time as a commodity. Now, a little bit of housekeeping before we go on. Thank you so much for listening. I truly appreciate it. If you are enjoying the show, you'd be doing me a massive favor if you'd just share it on your social platforms and get the word out there even a little bit more and or you can support the show's partners. I hope you enjoy this one as much as I do. And remember, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. A quick mention of the show's partners. These are all great companies and products that I use daily. If you want to support the show, you'd be doing me a massive favor by supporting these brands. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Brewing. Anyone will tell you that I'm someone who loves to have a beer and there's always a beer in the fridge for me and or guests that pop in. But with kids, my work and just my overall health, I I, I can't and I don't drink often. I can't afford to not be on my game and, and I simply don't like the foggy feeling I get by drinking alcohol. So I've tried non-alcoholic beers, but I guess I'm a bit of a beer snob because none of them have measured up to a real craft beer experience that I like. But now with Athletic Brewing, I can have a high quality, just flavorful and award-winning craft beer, and it's only 50 to 70 calories per can. And these beers just, they fit into any occasion. So I don't have to compromise on my social life or choose between having a great beer and, and just keeping my clarity. So go ahead and check them out at athleticbrewing.com and use code GREG20 at checkout and receive 20% off your first beer order. And that's athleticbrewing.com or you can find them at your local liquor store or bottle shop. And I'll let you know, I'll be having one every single episode I record. They're, they're that good. This episode is brought to you by my longtime partner and amazing company and brilliant product, Athletic Greens. I'm using Athletic Greens every day. Great taste, so quick and ready to go. Athletic Greens is a delicious blend of 75 superfoods and vitamins, minerals, probiotics, and a greens blend and more to support gut health, energy, and immunity and stress. I've also been doubling down on Athletic Greens vitamin D, a huge portion of the population of vitamin D deficient, myself included. And right now, Athletic Greens will give you a year's supply of vitamin D for free and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Do yourself a favor and sign up. It makes a great gift for a family member or a friend. So sign up now and get a free year of supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase by visiting athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. This episode is brought to you by Form. In my opinion, Form Smart Swim Goggles are the biggest thing to hit the swimming world. With Form Smart Swim Goggles, you can see all your key metrics while you're swimming, your distance, your pace, stroke rate, and heart rate. The swim data is displayed on the goggle lens, and you can customize the display to see the key metrics that you want to see. I couldn't believe it when I first tried them. They fit like normal, comfortable goggles, and the display is there, but it's not in the way. I consciously look at the lens to see my stroke rate, and my pace and my heart rate and distance. 
If you're a pool swimmer or an open water swimmer, I encourage you to check these goggles out. Please go to formswim.com forward slash Greg. Again, that is formswim.com forward slash Greg and get $15 off the Form Smart Swim goggles at checkout or use code Greg2021 at checkout. All right. Today's guest is one of the most powerful, versatile triathletes in the world winning major titles over the super sprint style of racing, four escape from Alcatraz Triathlon Championships, meddling at the Ironman 70.3 World Championships and representing the USA at the Rio Olympic Games. He races without fear, leading out of the water almost every time he starts and forces the race to chase him. It's been a true joy to just watch him develop his craft over the years. He has no weaknesses and races with weapons across the board. His momentum is building and he's spearheading that next generation. So welcome, and thanks for joining me on The Greg Bennett Show. Ben Knut, how are you, mate? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Oh, no, you're more than welcome. I've been looking forward to this one. Uh, we lined it up before you raced 70.3 Worlds last year, and I mean, last week, sorry. And uh, I've been sort of, I watched the race closely, and it was I was like, this is going to be a fun one to kind of recap that race a little bit. Um, but before we do, mate, the last time we spoke, you were stuck at Vienna Airport trying to get home. From Slovakia. Uh, yeah. He caught me just a few hours after I escaped quarantine. So that was a just kind of a crazy experience overall. But thankfully, we had uh, some good people on the ground there just helping us navigate everything. Because, I mean, it seems like a lot of these countries now, if you test positive, no matter you know how infectious or not you are, they err on the safe side and they just shut you down potentially for two weeks. How long were you there for? You went there. You were there for about five days, was it? Or yeah, it's just about five. I think by the time I got home, uh, it was about six days. I was Saturday night. I got home and had planned on Monday night getting back. So, you know, not like the most ideal, but it could have been so much worse. Yeah, I was going to say, and also leading up to a world championship, probably not the preparation you want. Were you able to kind of? still keep training there a little bit and keep your head in the game or, w- or was it complete isolation? I think I leveled up on Zwift a couple times uh, <laughs> as I was in there, um, gained a couple levels because I just ended up doing some long and some hard rides there and uh, yeah, just made the most of the opportunity. So mm-hmm. I think uh, my wife, Courtney, had it hardest in sure. having to take care of uh, our daughter, Briella, on, on her own and my daughter is always active. Uh, not really sure where she gets that from, but um, <laughs> doesn't really like to sleep as much. So that was Courtney was looking at me and going, "Well, you're just getting able. You're able to rest the whole yeah, you, time. You, you had a holiday. Mate. Exactly. Don't you dare come home and complain. You had a holiday. <laughs> exactly. So I owe her big time after that, and then going into worlds and everything. So we're on the the reverse schedule now, and hopefully, I'm I'm able to help out a little bit more. Oh, you're a good man, but uh, I think I've. This is getting repetitive on this show, but I feel like so many of the uh, the people, the athletes that I've had on this show, right at the beginning, talk about how wonderful their partner is and supportive, and and really, it, it really goes to show, doesn't it, just how much of this is teamwork and how you have to work together, especially when you've got a young family. Um, how old's Biella now? She's going to be ten months in a week or so. Now done. Yeah, she was born on the 4th, so she's almost 10 months old. That's right. She was born, was it two days before Daytona last year? <clears throat> yeah, basically basically <laughs> the day before. So that was uh, a stressful time for everybody in the family. And 
trying to check my phone, see what the flight opportunities were, trying to make the most of the opportunity in Daytona. So that was, yeah, that was a whirlwind. Yeah. Were you, were you in Daytona when she was born or? Yeah. So yeah, the story is we, she, she actually came two weeks early. So she was supposed to be due a week and a half after Daytona. Oh, and yeah, lost. Come on. There, I know. <laughs> she's showing me who's boss early on. Um, but yeah, we're sitting there and we, we made a decision as a family, like, hey, Daytona, it's one of the only races. It's a championship. It's just a great opportunity. And we felt like we had enough time. And um, kind of looking back, hindsight's twenty twenty. but Courtney started to experience some labor pains or contractions uh, mm. kind of the night before I was supposed to leave. And we called multiple doctors and everybody just said, nah, you're way too early. That's fake labor. Um, that, like the Braxton Hicks. So there's even like another step before it. And they're like, you don't need to go in unless you're like five minutes apart. Yeah. And so I left. And basically, I think as I touched down, she's like on the phone with her parents and her family. And thankfully, like my dad went with me to Daytona and my mom was here. So there's at least somebody in Phoenix for Courtney. Um, but yeah. And then that next day, I got a call early, early in the morning on Friday as I was in Daytona and she was already in the hospital and it was, yeah, almost like too late. And I had already cut that trip so short to try and be like, Briella, hold on for like two days and I'll be back. And like, yeah, within, after 24 hours after she was born, I was like done racing and like basically on my way home. So that was, yeah, that was tough for sure in a lot of different ways, but mm. it's you, all you can do is almost like look back and like laugh at it. Cause ever since then it's like in Briella's personality to just kind of like show us who's boss in a way. <laughs> oh, you are indebted to Courtney for the rest of your life, mate. <laughs> oh, I know there's, I know I'm paying back that one again yeah. and again, as often as I can. So yeah, Courtney, deserves, you're listening. Uh, everybody yeah, in the world now knows. <laughs> yeah. I'm held accountable now. I'm not getting away from it. So she Absolutely. deserves like a spa month. Oh, mate, that's awesome. Well, I know you guys are a tight, tight unit and a really close family. I, and so it's great that you, well, one, were able to get back from Slovakia. Two, you got back from Daytona in time. I feel like, mate, you're always just trying to get back. <laughs> you know? I know. It's crazy. And it, I mean, it's funny how that sort of stuff just always seems to collide. It's, it's Murphy's Law, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Now, you'll have to excuse my voice today. I, I do have a little bit of a head cold. And this is one of the joys of having two kids under four. Um, <laughs> they've had a few colds this year, and this is my first, so I can't complain. Um but uh, yeah, you'll have to excuse the fact that I sound a little bit raspy today. Um, but what I want to do today, moving on, is I really want to get to know you a little bit more. And like I said in the intro, I, I feel like your momentum is building and, and I truly think the sky's the limit for you. I think we've just scratched the surface. I know you've had some big wins, but I, I think there's a lot of potential there um, that's still untapped. Um, and I, I kind of want to look at your recent performances to start the show and then go back and we'll look at, you know, rewind the clock a little bit and look at your journey. And, and then especially I want to look at your process of how you became well, truly one of the greats in the world of triathlon. So let's start by recapping this past weekend, Ironman 70.3 world championships. And then we'll look at the rest of 2021 as well. Um, so mate, sixth at the world championships this past weekend, solid day, overall feeling, what was it? Yeah, I, I think solid is is a word that I've been used to describe this weekend, um, kind of to everybody. Um, 
I think that, yeah, I always say going into a race, if I can cross the finish line and not have anything more to give, then I can be happy with the race. And I really believe that showing up on the day, I did what I could with the legs that I had and kind of with the race, how it played out and everything. Um, but when you cross the line, you know, I leading into the race, I knew I was capable of a top 10. I know I've been in the top five before and really wanted to try and compete for a podium and a win and knew that would be, you know, a pretty hard day overall with the quality of the field. So sixth place is, is good. I'm, I guess I can say I'm satisfied, but not quite. It's a little bit of a, you know, you're, you're real close to that top five. You can smell, I can smell the podium. It was a minute and a half less than that up the road. And I've been racing with those guys, uh, all year. So I know I had it in me, but, uh, on the day, those guys were just better. So, um, yeah, I mean, overall though, I, I couldn't ask for much more. I had a great lead in, um, was feeling really good, had some great training and finally put together a really good string of, uh, weeks of training, had a, a great race at the Collins cup, mm-hmm. was able to make do with the quarantine and just go in feeling confident about my preparation. And then, um, the race kind of started to play out almost how we planned it with being able to take the lead in the swim mm-hmm. and, um, really just kind of feel strong throughout the race and coming out. And I, I was a bit like my old self, um, that I, I guess I lost a little bit mid season, but was attacking from the exit of the swim through T1 and able to push the bike early on and make people work. And then from there, it was just kind of responding to the different race dynamics that happened on the bike and kind of weathering the storm a little bit, uh, as we got closer to snow Canyon. And, um, I guess the, the quote unquote Uber bikers and Gustav Dietliv and um, let's see, uh, I'm forgetting his name right now. Uh, got away. Yeah, funk? exactly. Funk? Yeah, it's funk. Funk. Yeah, That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. Who was actually, I guess, riding with like a, a saddle that wasn't quite right, which just Whoa. shows how strong he was riding too. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then was able to kind of regroup and, and have a strong uh, half marathon overall, but just, it, it lacked that extra pop, you know, that you need to podium at a world championship. So, um, yeah, definitely strong and a lot of positives to take away from it, but it's still there, you know, that hunger where it's like you put together everything, but there's just that, that secondary, that outcome goal that you just, you know, you're close to, and you just want that little bit extra. Mm. And I guess the question now becomes, okay, how do we find that little bit extra? Because like you said, you, you know, you know once again, incredible swim, um, the, the, it seemed like the first probably half hour or so you were leading the bike or somewhat dictating the bike. Um, and then it seemed, it did tend to mix up a bit right at, was it, when did Gustav get away and how did he get away? Was it like in a massive attack or did he just sort of keep the pressure on and ride away? Yeah. It, you know, it was really interesting cause I, I came out of the water with four or five other guys and then I just started riding probably at the top end of my half Ironman Watts just to kind of create some separation thinking that some guys would be extra motivated and jump up to me and then kind of work together almost and just share the pacemaking. Um, but I dangled out front at like 15 seconds, 20 seconds, uh, for a long time, a lot longer than I expected with the the firepower that was behind me. And Frederick Funk was actually the first guy who, who caught me after that little out and back section. And he just was hammering on that. And I remember going up, 
that first kind of major hill before we took a left on Telegraph. And um, just we we really pushed hard up that hill. It was over 400 watts uh, for sure for a while. And there was a bit of a split. And I really thought that was going to be one of the deciding moves early on, um, just with how hard we pushed. And um, a, a good number of guys were kind of behind us. But with how that course rolls, I think bigger groups just go faster on the downhill. And we kind of came together then um, with some of those guys who were right behind. And so from there, it was about 10 people or so in that group, 20 miles in. Mm -hmm. Um, And you kind of go through the neighborhoods a little bit. There's some climbing, but um, Funk was on the front, I would say for 90% of the time. And then as we came up on that Red Sands Parkway, kind of where the run course runs up to, Mm -hmm. um, there's a bit of a climb before a downhill section into a false flat right before you take a right going into snow Canyon. And, uh, the group, I guess was just, uh, there were a few gaps kind of opening, closing, but Gustav just decided to come around. And I don't even know if it was a real surge. I think it was just, a he wants to ride his pace and he wants to push hard. And so he went into that downhill section and the rubber band just snapped, uh, right ahead of, um, Sam Appleton and Dietliff Funk and uh, Gustav just kind of rode away. And I think the rest of us were just kind of looking at each other. Everybody was suffering between like me, Jackson Laundry, Eric Lagerstrom. I think back Garb is in there, yeah. Sam Appleton. And we we're all looking at each other going like, okay, are you going to pull? Or are you going to go? Like, <laughs> Help. Help. Yeah. At that point, I'm like, you know what? Like, Sam, I hope you go faster because like I'm, I'm not coming around you to do that. Like I was, I was almost thinking at that point, I'm like, oh, man, this is a hard half marathon. We got to get up Snow Canyon. But my main goal at that point, I was like, if I can just make it to this top of Snow Canyon with this group, I figured I'd be in good position because uh, I saw Dietliff. He wasn't feeling himself before the race. Um, Funk hadn't had the best run legs uh, in the championship after riding super strong. And obviously with his, I didn't know about his saddle, but I think that played into it. And the guys around me too, I just, I just figured we could, I could have a good shot and I could recover a bit on the downhill but actually ended up just kind of riding steady up Snow Canyon, letting the other guys kind of dictate it, take a bit extra risk, and was able to recover and get myself back in it a bit more before the the downhill section where I think that's a big part of where Sam Long actually got himself back into the race um, besides riding up Snow Canyon just because we nobody really hammered down it and we were all kind of thinking about the the run at that point. How, how did your watts change from, say, if we split it up into three parts, the first 30K, next 30K, next 30K, or or for Americans, what is that in miles? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah it's about 18, mile, 18 miles, yeah. 18 miles, 18 miles. I mean, how, how did units. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you... Units. Did you drop off a fair bit once you got to – because Snow Canyon comes at a point yeah. where if you're getting fatigued, I remember the one time I did it, it was kind of like it came at that point where the fatigue is just starting to – you know, raise its ugly head just yeah. a little bit. And uh, did it, were you did, were you able to hold your watts through there and then the downhill or did it drop off? Yeah, so the downhill dropped off a ton, I would say. Um, but that at that point, um, there were a few guys who were just, they were the ones who were taking it and I was just kind of uh, collecting myself because I knew that, you know, it wouldn't really, the gap wouldn't open up too much. Um, but yeah, Snow Canyon, I'd say they were a little bit less than probably what I would have wanted, maybe 10 or so watts off than I would have preferred. Um, 
but that was kind of just the the nature of the race. I think if I had taken the time to like recover and really want to hit Snow Canyon hard, I probably could have increased my watts a bit. But with five other guys, I think at most you maybe would have gotten 15 to 30 seconds. And then on your own on that downhill, when you're going 50 yeah. miles an hour, you get uh, swamped. Or, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. You just, you can't really get away at that point. You'd need a pretty significant gap, I think, to, to kind of sustain that going into transition. And I've had some of my best runs off the bike where I, I kind of take a second to gather myself, um, kind of get spin out the legs and just make sure that I'm ready for the half marathon. Cause there's still, you know, an hour 10 or so of, of hard racing. And this is one of those courses where snow Canyon can, can definitely make or break your race. But if you overdo it there, then you're going to pay for it in that first three miles that are all basically uphill on on the run. Yeah. I mean, the fact that you're getting to race St. George a couple of times, like early in the year you raced it and wasn't, we can talk about that in a moment, it wasn't a highlight <laughs> probably yeah. of your career in 26, but you actually got a good sense of the course by doing it. Um, St. George is the World Championships again next year. Um, so I guess... Coming off that, well, let's actually, before we go on to that, let me talk about the run a little bit because it's not a fast run. Anybody that's done, it's brutal. It's up and down and it can really take its toll. Um, You ran a 115, uh, you know, not near what you're capable of, but that's kind of just the type of run that it is. And like you said, you're only a minute and a half off third. Were you blown away by Gustav Eden's performance across the board? Um, his bike and run, especially. Uh, I don't know if I'd say blown away because we saw it, we've seen what he can do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say that that was particularly impressive to ride sub two hours there and then run, you know, one eleven low with walking across the finish line. Um, so I mean, yeah, it just shows that that the level that you have to be at, and um, I think it shows too that you have to have uh, a high amount of strength on the bike especially because if you come off the bike with too tired of legs, uh, you just can't run high enough at the level that you need to be at to, mm-hmm. to win the race. And that's where I think it's, it's really getting interesting because some of these guys are, are riding super hard and super fast, but it's within their capabilities and they're not digging deep to that level that is hurting their half marathon. So they're still riding super strong, but it's not really taking away anything. So I I've raced this course like three times now and I'm kind of like two for three on <laughs> how it goes. And, um, I think it's really good to be able to have this benchmark and, you know, to have someone like Gustav win it in the way that he did. Cause everybody knows what it took to win this race now. And it's going to be, you know, ratcheted up just a little bit more, I think next year. And we've shown that this is a really hard course and on paper with the elevation gain and everything, it doesn't look like a fast course, but I said it going in is that you can race this course really fast, actually with, you know, 3000 feet of climbing on the bike guys still rode two hours and change or sub two hours. And then you're running just over 110 or so for the half marathon with all the exchange of uphill downhill. It's just uh, a course. I think that, you know, it can sneak up on you. So mm-hmm. if you, if you go a little bit too hard, you don't really know, um, how to pace it. I think then you kind of see guys start to blow up or cramp or, um, 
deal with that sort of stuff. So it's, it's being able to connect all of that and have the, the climbing, the descending, all of those things kind of ticked off to be able to have that, that race that's capable of a podium there. You know, I, I almost think of it as a, a stretched out escape from Alcatraz. So, yeah. you know, you look at yourself in sixth, Eric Lagerstrom in seventh, who have both won, you know, escape from Alcatraz. And you kind of go, yeah, the guys that can deliver at escape are going to be our deliver at St. George. Um, and, and, and looking at someone like a Sam Long, his breakthrough, he's having a massive year. I kind of yeah. get you and Sam, as I said at the top of the show, spearheading the next generation. I kind of look at you two as the Americans that are really driving it forward consistently too. You know, your, your fourth place at, um, well, your fourth fastest time at the Collins Cup uh, a few weeks earlier behind Gustav Eden, uh, Jan Fredino, and then Daniel Beckergaard, who you mentioned. Um, you know, it's like this, I feel like this energy is coming. This, it's the first time in a long time, and no offense to Americans listening, but as an Australian for probably 20 years, we, we didn't see this real firepower that's really coming, both from the men and the women. I just feel like it's, we're getting closer and closer before the next world champion. And it's going to be one of you guys. I can just sense it. Do you feel the same kind of energy? I, yeah. I mean, I've, I've followed the sport, I guess, all my life and watched a lot of U.S. athletes come through. And I mean, like you say, an Australian for 20 years, like triathlon started in the U.S. and we haven't had uh, a solid world champion, at least in the long distance side for quite a while. We've had, you know, Gwen and Katie and, uh, a lot of solid U.S. women come through, and the U.S. men have have not really been slacking by any means, but we haven't had that um, you know dominant mentality. And now I think that across the board, we're starting to see a lot more competitiveness, and um, it's nice to see the aggressive racing style, kind of that American, you know, in your face a little bit, like come and get me, or you know, I'm coming to chase you, and mm-hmm. that's always been how I've raced, and it's just kind of a, it can be, you know, risky if you don't do it the right way, but it's, I I like that style of racing. And I think that it's great to see, you know, a lot of guys trying to vie for the top spots from the U S. Yeah. And it's been great to watch you and Sam, you you guys have actually had some pretty tight battles. Um, and I feel like you're both elevating each other. You're both taking each other to another level. And I'm just looking at the top 10 results, uh, from this 70.3 world championships, there are three American men in the top 10 with yourself, Eric Lagerstrom, and Sam Long in second. And there's three from Denmark, Daniel Backergaard, Mickey Tagholt, who I, that was a, that was a surprise, and uh, Magnus Ditliv um, in eighth. So three from each of those two countries respectively. It, it really is very promising. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. And um, I, I love world championship racing just because, you know, the start list that you saw beforehand um, I don't know if you would have predicted the top 10, the way that it came out at all, really, you would have had some players who are in there. Like obviously Gustav is up there and, um, back of guard had been shown well, Sam long, but like there's, there's always those guys like Mickey who just, you know, nobody really knew who he was except for Daniel, I think. And that's, what's so awesome about a race like St. George and any world championship is Jim and I always look at that beginning start list and, it's like, okay, you have all of these players, but then you could probably take away half of them due to, you know, sickness, mechanicals, just not their day, preparation, all of that stuff. And then you probably take a few other guys who nobody's ever heard of, and you could throw them up in there too. And 
Um, I always found that an interesting way to look at a start list because, you know, it, it doesn't take the pressure off, but it almost makes it, you know, somewhat manageable. Like you, you could even take the Collins cup where you have 18 of arguably the best long distance guys in the business, but you know, people came in and uh, there are people who are struggling through the year with training or you have a mechanical people crashed. Like there's so much that can happen in a race. And it's just one way of kind of saying that anything can happen and, um, that, you know, on any given day, you can have somebody standing on top of that podium. Mm. Now, before we go on, I, uh, I also want to give a shout out to Jackson Laundry. His race in fifth yeah. was, I think, one of the, I think it was a big breakthrough race for him. Um, and uh, Jackson, you know, he's been around for a while. So it was really, I was happy to see him have a, a solid race. I know you were charging him down <laughs> towards uh, the finishing there, but. Uh, I needed you know, another K. And I was, I was coming for him, but he's, yeah, he's had an unbelievable year. He was, I think his first kind of breakthrough, like he had some good early season racing, but really that St. George race in May, he Mm -hmm. had a a great one. He was fifth there too, I think. Yep. He was. Was it fourth? Yeah. Yeah. One of those two. And then, uh, Collins cup too. He was able to have a great matchup and Mm -hmm. really ran strong. I think he was like third fastest run split or something behind like Gustav and, uh, Yawn. So yeah, it's been awesome to see. And it's, it, it's fun. Cause I think the half Ironman racing now is at some of its most competitive it's ever been. A quick mini break to remind you of the show's incredible partners. A quick reminder to do yourself a favor and sign up to athletic greens. Athletic greens also makes a great gift for any family member or friend. So sign up now and get a free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase by visiting athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. If you want to see all your key metrics like pace, distance, stroke rate, and heart rate while you swim, you need the Form Smart Swim Goggles. Go to formswim.com forward slash Greg. That's formswim.com forward slash Greg and get $15 off or you can use code GREG2021 at checkout. If you enjoy a beer but want to keep your clarity, stay on your game, then you have to try Athletic Brewing. I was just simply blown away by how good they taste. Just a true craft beer. Go check them out at athleticbrewing.com. That's athleticbrewing.com. And use code GREG20 at checkout and receive 20% off your first beer order. Oh, I think it's I think it's almost like what we had for the non-drafting Olympic distance series, you know, in in the noughties yeah. there, you know, with Lifetime Fitness Series and the High V Triathlon. And every time we turned up, there was just it was just full on, and you had the same kind of group of guys, you know, going at each other. And I think that's happening more now with these seventy point threes because maybe because we've had less races due to COVID. All of a sudden, we're getting such great you know, fields. We're, we're not looking at, there's no more little cherry picks. It's like every time you race, you're having a race, Sam Long, uh, Lionel Sanders, uh, you know, Gustav Eden turns up every now and then. It's, there's no cherry picking. You get to win one of these and it's, you've had to have a, a great day. Yeah, for sure. And I think, I think 2020 and COVID pandemic had something to do with that with less racing. So people aren't taking it for granted and you can't just have a field completely spread out over the weekend where sometimes you'd have three or four half iron distance races and in one weekend. Um, and I think that there's just this kind of mentality too. And, and I love it is people going for competitive racing. Like you have Sam and Lionel and they're, everybody wants to race the best. 
Like nobody just wants to go out and win a soft race. And um, I think that that's something that's pretty awesome to see. And it, it makes for some really exciting racing, especially when there's this, I think, uh, an increase too in some of the stakes that are being put out there, whether it's Collins Cup or Daytona or a world championship like St. George's. When you have, you know, the right group of people, you can almost go anywhere in the world and on any course, and then you get a really exciting race. I agree. I agree. Well said. Um, now, look, is there anything that you would have changed in your prep to get ready for this race? Before we move on looking at the rest of the year, I just want to have, dissect this a little bit more. Yeah. Well, and I think it's not, I mean, I could obviously say quarantine didn't really uh, mm. help things out much, but I would say it's more of the the overall year approach. And I, in the past four years or so, um, my coach Jim and I have really taken um, kind of on a challenge of balancing super sprint, like mixed relay type stuff, and then half Ironman racing. And I think that the training plays off of each other very well. But I think the demands of ITU racing and the way that I went about it and saying, I'm a mixed relay guy, I'm not going for the individual in the Olympics like that, that doesn't interest me. That's I want to win a medal if I'm going back. And I saw that opportunity in the mixed relay and I put my hand up in that way. But that pathway wasn't super clear cut overall with discretionary picks and trying to just keep points high enough where racing opportunities were uncertain. And I think that that created a lot of difficulty in planning out the season where we might pick some key races that we would prepare for, but we weren't exactly sure if we would get on the start list or not. And that's kind of the nature of the game with IT racing, especially if you're not going for an individual and putting in the time to collect the points and play that game. Uh, but that definitely presented its own challenges because if you just look at 2021 for me overall had a really strong Miami, Texas. And then I kind of had a bit of a slump that middle of the year. And it was probably a factor of just racing too much and trying to maintain sharpness and had to spend most of the summer just rebuilding that base to get to a point where, you know, I had three strong races in a row of Alcatraz Collins cup and, um, 70.3 worlds where I finally, you know, felt like my aggressive self where I pushed mm. the small points in the races where, you know, I think in like Italy and Yokohama and those, I just, I lacked the specificity in training and I lacked that kind of extra pop that I get from these good training blocks leading into it. So we had to take the chances that we took because, you know, winning an Olympic medal is something that's super special. And we were on that short list of guys, um, but it doesn't always go your way, especially with discretionary picks. And that I think then kind of threw things into whack. And we were playing catch up a little bit to try and get back there. So I think for 2022, I'm really excited to just, you know, lay out my year, have some more specificity and planning and be able to see what I can do that way. That's a really great summary of what it takes to prepare yourself to try and become, to be to be the world champion, right? You need to stay on track. You need to stay focused. And look, there are some random athletes that seem to be able to go from one to the other, like a you know Christian Blumenfeld, Gustav Eden, uh, Javier Gomez always seem to be able to. But I always felt like for for everybody else, you know, Jan Fredino, every the rest of us, 
it was, okay, you want to win this kind of race, you better prepare for that kind of race. And I think that helps both physically and mentally when you kind of go in with that absolute plan of this is what I want to have and achieve. Um, I think it's fascinating. You're up to, you're now ranked seventh on the PTO world rankings, um, which I believe there's a decent big payout at the end of the year. That seventh doesn't include races like Escape from Alcatraz, which I'm still not sure why the PTO can't include some shorter course racing. Um, it's all 70.3 and higher. Um, but you got to be impressed with that. You're pretty happy with, you know, your position at the moment. Yeah. I'm, I'm in an interesting position because it's, it's going to take, you know, a couple big races if I want to jump up at all. Um, and then I have some guys kind of chomping at my heels, but like, <laughs> I think being top 10 in the world in a ranking is, is always good. And, you know, I've, I've always felt like, I think the Olympics for me, that was, you know, it's the pinnacle of our sport in a lot of ways. And that was one of the things as growing up in youth and junior triathlon, like watching the Olympics from early on and especially triathlon then. And that was kind of the peak for me for a long time. And just with my skill set, I don't think I ever thought that I'd have the opportunity to, you know, be a real contender for an Olympic medal. And the mixed relay offered that. But I don't know if I've ever really been on a top 10 ranking list. You can be <laughs> sure, sure as hell as I'm not on the top 10 in ITU points. I think Super League maybe, but that's like a short series. There's different ones. So, you know, it's, it's pretty cool, yeah, to be racing and to be comparing yourself to some of the best that have ever done the sport. And um, I, I don't take any of it for granted because uh, I've been the guy who's been, you know, up and coming or the underdog and chomping at the bit to, to pass everybody else. So I still feel like I'm kind of there, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, I try and get fight for every single place and it's, it's pretty cool to see, you know, a little bit of validation from some of the good racing that I've had this year reflected in the PTO rankings. Well, mate, I, I still think you got plenty to show us. I think this, this current seventh spot is uh, a nice little pat on the back and, an attaboy way, way to go. But I, I truly believe there's even more in you. Um, and I can see a number one there at some point here. How old are you now? 28. Yeah. Okay. You haven't even hit the golden thirties yet, mate. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, I still feel 30s. like I have quite a lot too. So I, I mean, I'm excited for it each year. I've been, I think in this sport, I've improved in one way or another. So, um, I still feel like I have a lot of good years of improving ahead of me and I'm aiming for that number one spot. I think that, you know, if you're, if you're in, in sport and trying to be a professional, like you want to be the best and that's what you shoot for. Yeah, of course. Yeah. There's nothing less, mate. And I, and I think at the end of the day, I think you've got the weapons and I think it's just a matter of like getting the stars aligned, right? It's kind of, and, and I don't think you've had that season yet. I think, you know, you've done well to make the Olympics in 2016. You won the Island House race in 2017. You've won, you know, Alcatraz numerous times. You know how to win. And it's just now it's just going, okay, I just need a little bit more experience at this half distance, this 70.3 distance, because out of everybody in that top 10, you probably had the least amount of racing at that distance. Um, so I think there's there's a lot of potential there. And you know, Chris McCormack and I always used to laugh that the golden thirties was when, you know, in your twenties, you got all the speed and power and the, the raw passion. And then your thirties, you, you learn, you, you get that strength and that endurance and that 
that calmness. I think you've already got that calmness and patience. I'm not sure I had that in my 20s, but I think the things start to align a lot more in your 30s in our sport. So I think that's exciting for you um, going forward. But look, what I want to do now, we, we've sort of hashed over your, your year. We, we briefly, you know, just talked about Challenge Miami and Texas and a few of those others. But before the show gets too far along, I figure we should get to know you a little bit better and and understand how you got into the sport. And so what I like to do here at this point is just rewind the clock um, and just tell me, you know, when did your passion for triathlon begin and, and what was that all like? Yeah, I mean, we could go way back to the beginning. I, some of my early, <laughs> early memories. Yeah, way, way back. Uh, honestly, it's like probably it's over 20 years ago, um, but in like 97-ish, 96, uh, my dad started doing triathlon well before I did. And I remember watching him a lot as a kid and kind of not growing up in transition areas, but kind of, because we would go and travel to the races and um, it was a fun experience. But one of my earliest memories is watching him on Lower Wacker Drive racing the Mrs. T's triathlon, yeah. uh, which is the Chicago triathlon now. Uh, and that I think kind of got me intrigued because watching him do this, it was, it was way different than any other sport around. And I, I like doing all sports. My parents put me in a number of different things. And, um, but one thing that, that I think got me started and kind of stuck was joining the swim team at an early age, uh, at age of seven, and then doing my first kids triathlon because Chicago and especially the suburbs is just like this weird hotbed of triathlon that <laughs> there was a, a local age group team that was big. And then, uh, a lot of them had kids and it was just between my parents and some of the other people around, they were like, we need a kid's triathlon at the local health and wellness center. And that's what gave me the first opportunity to actually hop in a race at age eight or nine. And I just loved it. We would watch, you know, Ironman world champs on VHS because our next door neighbor got the channel and he'd tape it for us. And then we'd watch it. And, uh, I think overall though, it was just, the community and the fact that I enjoyed the people that I was around that kept me coming back. Mm. Uh, cause I joined a kid's triathlon team a couple of years later, um, with someone who was very, um, high performance minded. He came from a swim background, club swimming, and that's all, you know, there's a staircase, there's a pathway to the Olympics there. And at that point in time, I think it would be, uh, there's one or two Olympic triathlons that had gone on at that point. And, he saw an opportunity that there's no system like the club swimming system for triathlon. So he's like, we're going to do that here. We're going to have some Olympians come from this group. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've got two of them now in, in me and Kevin McDowell. And that was where wow. we got introduced to the draft legal triathlon. And I think really where the, the first um, kind of belief of, you know, it was where we were first told, like, you could go to the Olympics in this, like you could do this as a job. And what, I mean, we were up real quick. What was his yeah. name? Who was the guy that started? Was Keith Dixon. Oh, Keith. And then, yeah. And then we had a number of coaches that kind of cycled through and yeah. some I went back to some kind of went on different directions, but he was kind of the mastermind. And then the parents were the huge support system that helped, you know, drive bikes across the country in a, a U-Haul to get it to nationals. And I mean, we have just some, some crazy funny stories from that too, like being in um, Bridgeport, Connecticut, as it's dark out in Bridgeport, Connecticut is where the national chance was that year. And it's not necessarily a nice town, 
overall, especially at <laughs> night. And we were riding in the transition area in the dark with uh, like the parents with the headlights and there's people sitting out on their porch, like kind of like yelling at us and stuff from, you know, staying up the whole night. Cause it was like whatever, four or 5 AM. And, um, it was, it was a lot of just cool experiences. I think as a kid on that kids tri team and doing, you know, triathlon camps out in this place, Galena, Illinois at the, this guy's, uh, Keith Dixon's, um, like farmhouse out there that he had. And just, we were out in the country and riding just huge, massive hills as a kid and like at the lake. And, you know, you find out things later on too, where we actually weren't supposed to be swimming in that lake all the time. You needed like passes. And so that we would be there early in the morning before the security guards got there, we'd do our swim and then they'd be shooing us on our way. Like, come on, you got to get on the bike before they could actually come in and ask us for <laughs> our transition. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, that, that's like the foundation. We just had a lot of fun as, as that team. And, um, as I grew, like I, I eventually went in a different direction from that team and in, in high school, but uh, I was doing high school swimming and cross country. And, um, that I think was another point in my career where I just learned how to race at that mm. point. Like mm. you're racing almost every weekend, whether it's in the pool or at a small cross country meet and the, then there's a championship season there too. And, um, I think that that just, yeah, and racing even on club swimming throughout the entire year, there's, there's no better way I think to learn how to race than to be in race situations. And you can't always do that with triathlon, you know, especially Olympic halves. And as a kid, you just learn it in, you know, short 30 second to two and a half minute races. And, um, that, that I think too, is just something that was pretty important before, you know, going into college, taking the pro card, all that sort of stuff. Man, you just touched on so many great things there. Well, first and foremost, the community of triathlon. I just don't think there's a better community. I just think whether you're racing age group, whether you're involved as a volunteer or putting on events or you're racing professionally, it's just, it really is some of the greatest people you'll ever meet in, or in our sport. So, you know, and you touched on that when you were seven, eight, nine, just getting into it. Um, and just the people, everybody jumping on board. And I love that, you know, the suburbs of Chicago is where we've got two American Olympians of, you know, come from. I think Same that's really, really cool. I didn't realize that Kevin McDowell, yeah. big shout and, uh, out. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's just funny too. Cause I mean, that team was really close knit and I don't think as a kid, you really realize, Oh, like this is the sport that's going to take me wherever. Cause I, I had dreams of being a right fielder in baseball too, but you know, that <laughs> dream was crushed pretty early on. And I think I had a real talk from my parents. Like, do you really want to be a right fielder? Um, but it's, it's, as you get older, I think it's always like nowadays people specialize their kids in sports so early but what was great about what I did is I got exposed to so many different things. Like if I tried to specialize so early in baseball, I would have completely missed out on triathlon and, you know, may have never seen the sport, but I had the opportunity to, to choose. And, um, because of the people who were involved in it, I think I just kept getting drawn to it. And then there was the other aspect of being competitive, having some success and, and all of that. But it's, it's interesting how you can drift toward a certain thing. Um, purely just based on, you know, you were, you were excited about it. And my whole family at one point was doing triathlon and my brothers were on the tri team as well, but they had kind of different pathways too. like my brother ended up swimming in uh, college at uh, a D three school because he, he just enjoyed swimming more mm. overall. He won actually the youth elite national championships and then peaced out the next year. He just 
and that was after beating like a couple of solid guys too, and just retired from triathlon and went full time swimming. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty cool overall. And it was pretty cool too, to just like have, you know, I was friends with Kevin even before we joined the tri team. Like I was, we were like, Hey, let's, let's go do this. Like you should come out and do this triathlon. Cause we were on the swim team together and yeah, just being in a, a relatively small town and just having all these people kind of come together with this kind of common goal. It just kind of grows on you then. And then you're all of a sudden in this group and then you are specialized and then you start getting told, Hey, you guys are, are really good. This is high performance. We're coming to win. Like, then you just kind of get that sort of mindset as well. Mm. The pats on the back, especially during those teenage years, it's amazing the the influence that that can have. Not just yes, winning races, and you know, but, but when people tell you that hey, you're pretty good at this, it's amazing. And I think those they're fairly vulnerable years. You know, we're all teenage kids. You know, a bit insecure, trying to keep up with our peers or figure out where we fit in. And then when you have a sport like triathlon or, you know, like you, you said, you had your, your cross country or your swimming, it's amazing how you get those pats on the back and your self-belief grows. Suddenly you're, you're a little bit more of a confident, you know, teenager than you probably were beforehand. And this is where sport is just, it's so important for, for kids to be able to just experience it and be able to grow with it. Um, and I love the fact that you mentioned with your swimming and cross country, you learned to race. You know, that, that was a really critical time to the, the, the greatest gift you got in those is learning how to race. And I, I have a side story. I hadn't ever, I never did swimming at all growing up. I, I was in the surf and swimming was not really my strength. My first ever swim race I did beyond, you know, silly high school things was, um, when I was about 25 and I was already a professional athlete. I've never been more nervous on a starting line in my life diving into a 50-meter sprint race. <laughs> yeah. So there's something to that, isn't there? Like just getting used to that nervous energy and diving in off the blocks. Yeah. And, you know, I, I even look back at high school swimming. I'm like, oh, if I would have just approached some of this, like with some of the stuff I learned now, I'm like, oh, <laughs> I would have been like, I could have, I could have gone a little bit farther because it is like you get that, that reinforcement. Like I had a lot of good mentors like coming up, like especially, you know, high school and then beyond that as well. But, um, it's amazing. Some of the things you learn too, and you look back and just that competitiveness, like I learned a lot being able to race week in, week out, mm -hmm. how to manage energy, all of that. But then some of that, you know, over analysis or looking too much at it and just, you know, kind of letting go of some of that. Like I, like I was a 500 freestyler. That was as high as it went in high school for time stuff, but the longer, the better for me. Yeah. And that was basically a sprint at, at yeah. a certain point. But, um, yeah, no, I look at that and I was like, oh man, like if I could have just talked to my younger self, I would have been like, <laughs> you just got to trust a little bit more in some aspects. Yeah. But, um, no, it was awesome. Cause it was one of those things too, where half the year times don't matter. And it's more about, you know, getting points for your team. And when it comes down to it in a triathlon and one of the things, like we talk about escape from Alcatraz a few times, like the time doesn't really matter in that race because it's so different year to year. It's purely about like, can you get to the finish line first? And that I think is, is one of like the greatest things like about the sport and what it was all about when they first started it is we want to do something hard and challenging and we want somebody, you know, to cross the line as a winner. Yeah. I like that. When, when did you realize you had some ability? Like you're getting those little pats on the back, but there was there, how old were you? And you know, when you started to go, hang on, this could be, did you go to college? 
Were you studying? I did. I yeah. did. Um, well, so I guess how, so how the first cool. time. Yeah. So I, I was never, I mean, I think it's funny now because I, you look at triathlon, you look at some of these people and everybody talks about hard work and how there's no talent. Like it's all hard work here. And um, I feel like I, I've kind of always said the same thing. And I think that all of us, like it's, it's a little bit of time. We all have a little bit of talent, a little bit of something behind it. But <laughs> um, for me, that, that kind of came more in the swim and the bike. Those just came a bit easier. And the run for me was always something that was just a little bit harder for whatever reason. Uh, and I think very, like very early on, like I can remember distinctly the first like iron kids national championship in Atlanta, the first one Kevin and I ever went to, I could hear him crossing the finish line in like fourth or fifth. And I still had half the run course still to do, or maybe he was on the podium at that point. I, I don't really remember, but like <laughs> you fast forward, like 2007, it's like a 15 year racing as a 15 year old. Um, that was my first year where it was like, I, I can actually, like, I'm actually good at this for sure. Like I'd had some success before and improved, but like, I think I won almost every race off the front that year, except for one where I like flatted or something. And I was in high V, like they, they had a lot of cool races that year. And, um, I think around that time too, was like Keith Dixon telling us like on the pool deck or our coach or whatever that like, Hey, imagine yourself at the Olympics. Like, I don't remember exactly when it was, but I can kind of remember the place we were at and a little bit of like, we were on bike trainers, like near the pool and they were talking about going to the Olympics. And I was kind of like, yeah, like that's what I want to do. But honestly, like the first time that I kind of figured out like what it took was after my freshman year in college. And I mean, choosing a college was a whole kind of thing in and of itself, but I at collegiate nationals had qualified for my pro card, my elite license. And, um, what my coach at the time, we were going to just not take it that year and delay it and race to, to learn how to win even more, like go and race age group races and high V that year had a car they were giving away for I remember the amateurs. That. I remember so that. Then I was going to go try and win a car. It was a mini um, Cooper or something, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a mini <laughs> Cooper. So, so, yeah. but I was approached by USA triathlon and they were going to have a European camp and be like, Hey, you want to come out for a month race? four times in four weekends, everything from like super sprint to prelim final to sprint and Olympic distance races up to like a world cup. And, um, uh, I jumped at that opportunity and that racing in Europe gave me the first real opportunity of what it actually took to be a professional. Cause I had raced junior world championships, but it was amazing to me to see these different guys week in and week out, just hammering themselves. And I had had some, I had some decent results there, but it was, it was an eye opener and kind of gave me that first real sense of like, this is what it's like to be a professional. Like we have that benchmark. Now let's like work to see what could happen. Mm. What, what a great experience and good on USAT for, for making that happen. It's one of my big things is, you know, the youth development or whatever they want to call it is yeah. they often miss out on the biggest thing, which is race and go find out where the best are and race them often. Uh, and that you at least then know where that is. And, and, you know, for us growing up in Australia, we had the Grand Prix in 94, live television, super sprint format, much like Chris McCormack's uh, Super League that he has going on right now. And I qualified for that as a 20, what was I, 20-year-old, 20 21-year-old, and immediately thrust against Greg Welsh, Miles Stewart, Brad, these guys were all world champions. And I knew where the benchmark was right away. And sure, I never beat, I didn't beat them, 
but I knew where the benchmark was and I was getting fifth and sixth and seventh and, and it's like, okay. And for me, there's just nothing better than racing and racing and racing, especially when you're young, because I think, you know, we've talked about that a bit already on this show, but especially in the triathlon world, it helps understanding where the playing field is. Uh, so you know how to prepare yourself. Well, for sure. And at the time when I was racing, especially us racing was, I don't want to say soft, but it wasn't the same as racing internationally. Like mm-hmm. if we came up in the junior system and we, we were the junior system a little bit, like it was our team that was consistently winning the team world champs every year or the team national champs every year, because, um, we just, we had the most kids, we had the best kids and, um, it took a while now. I think it's maybe a bit more robust, but yeah, I agree. Like racing different places, making yourself uncomfortable and, mm-hmm. um, just learning all those different experiences. Like it takes a quite a bit of trial and error too, to just figure out like how the race dynamics happen, what works for me, what doesn't like, and just, you know, overcoming certain things. Mm. After that trip, was that when you kind of said, okay, this is what I'm going to do? Like, this is, yeah, I, I, now? Yeah. And, um, my, my mom and dad had a a big role in, you know, my career in just different ways, but my mom really helped me, you know, with the college choice and going to the university of Arizona, just for a number of reasons, mainly being like no more winter. So I could train outside and just a good (laughs) college university experience. But also I think after that summer, um, I, we sat down and that was my freshman year. And after that summer, we just, looked, we started to understand the ITU point system. And I had gone into college with a couple credits. And we just said, like, if you, you know, take quite a bit of credits, like your sophomore year, do some extra stuff, maybe over the winter, and then you could graduate in three years. And then that gives you a whole year to kind of focus to try and qualify for Rio. And I just applied myself that way to, to training, to elevating myself in that way, and then to getting school done uh, faster than usual to be able to give myself that extra opportunity. And, um, it was a, I I don't know if I'd suggest that to everybody. I think if in hindsight, like if it didn't pan out the way that it did, um, you can definitely like kind of take your time with school. You don't have to rush through it. But Mm -hmm. for me, it just kind of aligned in the correct way that, you know, I finished school and was able to, you know, really focus on, training and qualifying for the Olympics and, you know, getting that done and, and going to Rio. Mm. Uh, I'm glad it all worked out, but it is a kind of an athlete mindset, isn't it? Okay. If I'm going to do it, yeah. let's do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. It's just, like, I think in the middle of it, uh, looking back on it, I was like, oh my God, like, why, why would I do that to myself? Taking like over 20 credits in one semester, like taking online calculus, which I was having one of the guys from the triathlon club which actually ended up having a great group of guys there who ended up training with me. There are some ex like runners there from D one schools. And, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, he was like, he was a graduate level in math and I was trying to just finish calculus, just get through math, which I'm not very good at at all. Oh, He's really? like trying to teach me how to do it. Like taking it online. I'm like, Oh my God, I should have just taken it in person. <laughs> it's hard enough in person, isn't it? And yeah, I mean, you're not exactly. tired and trying to train or, you know, qualify for an Olympic games and everything else. And so tell us a bit quickly then on that, um, that Olympic games qualifying experience, what was that like for you? Uh, it started off, um, like pr- as bad as it could for me, honestly, I, <laughs> I graduated in 2014 and I went to live, uh, I was 
was being coached by kind of two people at the time and it, it rotated who took the lead, but um, it was Adam Zuko and Ryan Bolton. And I went to actually live with Ryan Bolton in his like guest house in New Mexico after I graduated and put in some really good training um, leading into the test event in 2015 and was confident, ready to go. But I think I had some external and internal pressure of this was a course that's made for me. I should make the breakaway. Um, it was ocean swim, one loop, you know, a bike course was super hilly and hard and the run was, you know, flat along the beach and it was expected to have a breakaway of about eight to 10 guys, uh, with like the Brownlees pushing the pace off the front. And, um, then I, I mean, that's a good, I needed a top eight to automatically qualify and just absolutely blew it from the very first step into the water. I think I went, I went backwards in the swim for the first time in a long time. Uh, at that point. And then on the bike, just barely made it over the first hill. Like honestly thought about dropping out at that point, but just, um, and actually to bring up Kevin, we actually both kind of almost jogged in the run together. Um, at that point, we both didn't have great races there. Um, but that kind of set me up, I think for actually qualifying. Cause I, I stepped back from that race. I'm like, why am I preparing so well? And I just didn't race well at all. And examined everything and um, started working with a sports psychologist and just kind of reframed in my mind how to go about it and ended up having a pretty decent race at one of the it, it, the way that we qualified it was either you automatically qualify or it was like a points ranking system mm-hmm. so there were a few more races that year and then finally in Yokohama in 2016 and I, I kind of had a really good breakout. I had a solid race in Stockholm, but then a, a breakout race a little bit at the grand final in Chicago and just kind of went for it and um, had, took advantage of an opportunity of people not thinking that I would run very well at all and went off the front on the bike and just held on for like a top 20, which gave me some decent points and kind of reinvigorated me and made me think that, hey, I still I actually do have a shot because I'm like you know, third or fourth, or I'm, I'm right on the cusp of qualifying and just put in a lot of good training over the winter. Um, I actually, I think I moved back to Tucson and just to, I kind of realized like I need a bit of balance. Like I can't be, you know, in, I, I was living in Santa Fe in a guest house, basically, you know, had a few good people around me there, but was basically eat, train, sleep, mm-hmm. and just was mm-hmm. on the verge of like, you know, not burning out, but kind of like, this is a bit much. Yeah, it's not um, enjoyable anymore. Yeah, yeah. And so I went back to Tucson and, you know, got in some really good training, uh, felt confident. And I just went into Yokohama with the mindset of like, you know, I just want to do what I'm capable of and it's either going to happen or it's not. And if I can cross the line and empty the tank, like this isn't going to necessarily make or break my career. There's another shot. Like I, I just had a much more healthy uh, mindset, I think, and an mm. opportunistic mindset, a positive one rather than kind of real of like a, Oh, I have to do it. And, uh, whereas Rio, I think that people thought that I had a really good opportunity because of the course Yokohama was the exact opposite in that it was like the swim usually was together in wetsuit. The bike is kind of at the time it wasn't super hard. It was just kind of like a group riding around together. And then it was a really fast run and nobody expected me to run very fast, but, um, just tried to make the most of every opportunity in there and was, you know, playing games with myself on the bike to just make it as easy as it could be up at the front and ended up running, you know, super well. It had calculated out all the points where I needed to finish up and was able to run my way onto the team when 
I think that everybody expected anybody else to do that besides me. <laughs> and and you got to tell me that that feeling. Did you know when you crossed the line, or was there still points to be done, or did you know for sure you you qualified? I was pretty sure that I qualified, but like I looked for a USAT staff, and like it was one of those things where like. <laughs> I don't know if they had calculated out the points all the way they wanted to double check. So nobody was like, yeah, you did it. And I was, <laughs> I, I was like calling my parents. I'm like, I think I did. And they're like, I think you did. And my coach too. And uh, didn't really want to celebrate too soon because you know, you never want to do that and then have to come down off mm. that high. Um, but I think once I saw it, I actually saw it on social media first, like on Twitter or something. I was like, okay, that's, that's like a confirmation. Like they're not going to put that out there if I didn't do it. So um, yeah, it was kind of a weird happenstance that way, but still like that, that was super amazing to be able to like take all of that, set myself toward that goal, hit that goal of qualifying for the Olympics and, and being able to make it. And then from everything from that point on, like I kind of understood like how the race would kind of play out in Rio. And I was just trying to like enjoy that as much as possible. Mm. It's a, it's a tremendous feeling when suddenly a massive goal that you've been striving for 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 years when you first planted that seed when you were 15 on the trainer and then suddenly it's it comes to fruition it's uh it's an incredible feeling because it's not just you it's it's you it's your mum and dad it's it's your family everybody that's been on the journey with you it's uh it's quite an emotional um time I, and i can just um, i i went through similar kind of things as what you did i didn't know actually 2000 i i thought i was on it and then two weeks later, I found out there was a court case and I was off. And oh. and then I had 04, I made it, and that was real joy. And then in 08, I was put on the team and I didn't even know that I wanted to be on the team. I was focused on the US non-drafting, you know, series, big prize money races. And suddenly I'm on the team, but then Australia lost its third spot and I was off the team. So all these emotions that can go <laughs> go with qualifying for a team, I totally understand what you went through. Did you have a big celebration? Yeah, you had it all. That was uh, that was quite the ride itself. Like I, I, I always knew that there was like um, some stuff going on with that. Yeah, that's that's quite the the journey. And yeah, I mean, it was it was pretty awesome. Like I was able to celebrate a little bit, but honestly, it's kind of like it's it's back to work. Like it was it was. Mm-hmm. I think all of that training and like the hard work I put in um, was kind of that that celebration as well. Like I was, I finally done it. Like it was just that. For me, it was that major validation of all the work that I've done yes. and just the confirmation of like, hey, I, I made it like I'm an Olympian and that's like, that's not going to be taken away from me. I took confidence from that. And I think that me qualifying and doing that provided like that extra little bit for me to just continue on with my career too and be able to make good decisions and just mm-hmm. race with confidence overall. And you mentioned a few times there, you know, Nobody expected my run. Nobody expected, and it was fun to watch. I mean, you you weren't a, a great runner, and now you're one of the great runners. You 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 changed. You're the first the person who said I'm a great runner. Well, and I'm one of the great runners. That's great. Well, I want to run I, with that. Coming I, from Greg Bennett. Well, I think you're getting there. Let's put it that way. I think are you the greatest runner in the world right now? No, but <laughs> you, you're definitely on that. You're becoming one of those guys for somebody who wasn't, and that's well, funny. Of, transformation you know yeah and it's it's actually really funny because i i've been working with bobby mcgee a whole lot and um a strength coach and yeah matt pendola yeah Yeah, bobby's fantastic we call him i call him the run guru he's he knows running super well but the to take it back to the pto rankings 
he noticed that my percent on the run is higher than my bike. I think I'm like 90 some percent on the run, like 91 and like an 89. I was going to say that actually. I I was like, but, but I have actually noticed that that's actually become a bit of the trend. I was actually going to ask you, you know, we're going to have to get the bike back up now because it it is, it's a 98% swim, 89% bike and 91% run. Um, yeah, you've you flipped it, uh, and so now we need to just get a few more percent back on the, the bike. Isn't the sport crazy? You yeah, were, you know, you, now you go, oh, what? I got to go back to the, my talent. You know, your raw strength and talent is probably the bike. You know, and I think that's going to be one that when you say, okay, my runs at a good spot. Now I want to launch into the bike, and I think that potentially is going to be what takes you from number seven in the world to number one when you squeeze that bike up a little bit more. Which I don't think is going to be that hard for you. What do you think? Yeah, I think that it's. I mean, it's going to be hard. Interesting thing, yeah, <laughs> it's definitely an interesting thing to look at because, like, we we approached twenty twenty. I think um, probably a bit differently than some of the other people uh, in the world, and uh, we took a look at it. first. It was you know trying to stay ready for you know qualifying for the Olympics, all these different yeah. races. But then it turned into a. This is the probably the one time in my career at all that I don't have to be race ready. I don't have to maintain race readiness and the swim and the bike throughout the entire year and then balance improving the run. I could focus a lot on the run and mm-hmm. get that improved. And so I put in a lot of work in, in, it was difficult. I mean, I was in the heat of the summer in Phoenix cause we, we basically stayed here for most of it. And I think that that it didn't get to quite show in 2020 as much, um, like the sort of work that we were doing, uh, because of the lack of swim and bike training. And then only in 2021, I think we started to see some of that where my swim and bike are at least at a level where it allows me to express my run. Mm-hmm. And um, in balancing some of that ITU and half Ironman racing, like, again, it kind of, you know, threw kind of a yeah. wrench in there. But I, I think for the first time in my life in a, a longer distance race, something 10K or over, I'm finishing super, super strong at the end after running pretty consistent and steady. And that's usually something that, you know, you'd see in, in my super sprint racing with sprint finishes rather than, you know, half Ironman racing and just trying to hold on to the end. And you could look at Chattanooga in 2017, where, you know, when Gomez passes me, I look like I'm kind of wobbling or, you know, waddling down the road. And now when I run, it's at least much more efficient. It's not quite there exactly where I want it to be, but it's going in the right direction of improvement. And that bike and swim, um, after taking, you know, a break from it, I think it's come back a little bit slower than we would have liked or maybe thought, because it's always kind of snapped right by right back into it. But it's we've definitely seen a steady progression throughout this year and a lot of uh positives in training um that indicate, you know, I think with a little bit more tweaking like that should be something hopefully for 2022 that we're we're getting a more complete package overall mm. well i'm excited for you when i saw those numbers i was like oh because i do think in your dna at your talent level the bike is the one that it might be a bit slow this year but i still think when i look at the next couple of years and you know you've been working on mitigating your weaknesses but i think this next block is almost like okay play to my strengths even more and that's when I think the magic will really happen. That's just my personal view. <laughs> and, uh, take yeah. it or leave it, but that's what I think. And I mean, how are you going to, let's talk, talk about your physical training a little bit at the moment. Um, 
you know, what specific kind of swim, bike and run workouts are, are some of your favorites to, to get yourself moving? Do you have any sort of favorite workouts that you can share with or, or even better still? Yeah. What I like on this show is when people share some incredible workouts they've done and don't, you don't have to be humble because I like, I like to hear some yeah. of your swim workouts and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of different things, uh, in there. I think one of the things that I'm excited about is just laying a thicker base down and just getting that endurance and strength up because with the timeline we've had, we've kind of had to rush that. And I think that's kind of where, you know, in, in 70.3 worlds where I'm at the front and for the first time in a little while, that gap is maintaining. Uh, I think that there is an opportunity there with the right amount of bike strength to keep that gap and to force people to split the group early to either catch me or let me go kind of like what happened in Chattanooga in 2017. Um, as far as swim workouts, um, let's see. I mean, I, I like to pull a lot of them. It's there's, there's different ones. Uh, there's a solid one, just a test set of a hundred, 500. Um, I always think that that's a pretty good indication of, of swim fitness, at least get out speed. Um, it's kind of a standardized test of doing a hundred mm-hmm. all out resting for a minute and then doing a 500 for time. And mm-hmm. I know I'm in shape for sure. If I'm like 52 ish, give or take for the hundred in short course yards, you know, <laughs> long course meters <laughs> No, And then, uh, like a, a low four fifty for the 500. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's no one real specific swim workout that I like. I know that one of the ones that I always like to draw on that, you know, I don't always go back to this, but every so often if Jim is like, hey, you really need a a super hard swim. uh, I've offered up in high school swimming, we would do a 100, 200, 300, 400. Mm. But each interval, um, the seconds stay the same. So it'd be like 110, 210, 310, 410. And you're trying to go best average for all of that. And you can do that like multiple times through. Um, that was one that I, in college a lot that I would know like, Hey, if I hit certain times here, um, which honestly I don't, I think if I was just around like double O that's kind of my standard. I think if you can hold, um, double O consistently, uh, and have like a bit of get out speed, I feel like you could be toward the front of most swims. And obviously there are some people like Varga and stuff who just will crush that sort of stuff. But 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 for your seventy point three world that you're in now, I mean, are you, how much swimming you're actually doing? You're able to back that off and focus a bit more on the bike and run, or do you still have to? I mean, obviously, the heart and lungs know no difference. So if you you're economical in the swimming, it's a good way to train no matter what. But are, how are you managing that with the bike and the run? It's an ebb and a flow because I I've gone through periods of less swimming uh, and can ride on some of my swim fitness, uh, and then there's periods where I have to kind of rebuild and keep the strength and. Honestly, that's what we did kind of the past couple months is make sure that I got in enough swim volume. And I don't think I do more than 20,000 yards a week. So I'm not like a high volume. I don't have to specifically work at it, but I make sure I get in like some, some 5k swims and then some fast stuff. But, um, that's one thing that I think is interesting to look at for 70.3. Cause if you can like treat it almost like an ITU swim, where you can get out fast and then sustain the gaps don't ever really close in a swim. So if you establish that gap, if anything, it's just going to open up bigger and it's establishing it that, that fast enough. And that I think is the balance of 
you don't want to have to spend all your time developing get out speed and swim strength because at the end of the day you're not going to win the race at on the swim but i love making people lose the race in the swim <laughs> like i hate when people are like oh the swim doesn't matter like it's a triathlon it matters like yeah, the gustav yeah. eden like he won that race because of how his swim was good like he he was close enough like same thing christian blumenfeld was in the race because he was there and sam long even like he swam well for him. He kept that gap close enough. But throughout my career, like there's, there have been times where I, I throw out 2017 in Chattanooga quite a bit because I was able to podium there, but also because that's like where opportunity just met like my current fitness and people didn't really know who I was. And I took advantage of my swim ability and the fact that everybody thought I was going to run yeah, 120 or over on that and just come back to me and just with them watching each other. So that's the sort of stuff that I love about racing is if you can get out fast, it's a small, small thing, but it could turn into something big. Oh no, you need to have, I agree with you. Triathlon's unusual like that. It has nothing to do with pacing and doing your best 1500 in the, or what, yeah. 1.9 K, whatever it is, um, in the swim. It's about making the gaps at the right time. And if you've got that explosive power, you better be using it and, and, and opening that gap. With the bike, are you using a lot of data? Are you somebody who's riding to watts or do you ride by feel in a race? Uh, um, are you guys, because I think, you know, I spoke with your coach, Jim Vance, a while ago. We were just having a chat and we were talking about data and that kind of thing. You guys use a little bit of that and actually on the run as well. I think I heard you use, yeah. you look at your run power as well. Yeah, Jim is big on data, especially in. I mean, he's good at analyzing it and, and we like to collect the data, but it's, it's really used to provide confidence on the start line. So mm -hmm. we collect it, we use it, and then we apply it there to give us confidence to say, hey, if I just do what I'm capable of, like I'm going to have a great race. So we do uh, basically all of our riding by power. Um, you know, I, it's not always a sign. Like if it's an easy ride, it's not like you have to ride this. But mm -hmm. for all of the hard intervals, I have a sort of range to stay in and you know, our go-to set before a half Ironman uh, in most of my world's lead-ups, and this was kind of tweaked going into St. George because um, each, you know, 70.3 world championship, the course kind of had different dynamics, but overall it was based on strength. Um, Chattanooga and St. George are similar in the fact that Chattanooga had about a 10-minute climb, 15-minute climb at the very beginning. And St. George had, you know, quite a bit of undulation with that 15 minute climb coming at the end. So we just went more specific with this and breaking up how we thought the power might go along. But four by 30 minutes is pretty much with like just three to four minutes, uh, maybe five in between each of those is basically like a, a pretty standard build set into 70.3 worlds, especially. And if we were adjusting it a little bit, I think into uh, St. George, we might've added on like an extra 15 minutes, but that was kind of broken up into like three by three, four by 15, mm -hmm. a 30 minute interval, and then finishing kind of harder with some other stuff. So, um, that's, that I think is, is a very, it's a mentally draining workout in that, you know, it's a 30 minute interval, but also it gives you a lot of confidence because you have the strength to push, you know, at or above 70.3 pace for two hours, essentially, which is, about what you're going to be riding and that like, and you're doing it tired based on other stuff. So, um, that's one that we usually head back to and we'll base anything else around. 
And that's a good one, I guess, to use for practicing some fueling that you might want to get used to as well. Exactly. Yeah. It's just, it's a good, it's, it's almost like a race sim and that kind of leads into the run too, where, uh, we've done a lot of kind of tempo or even we call it thrempo work where it's like in between threshold and tempo, especially for some of this faster stuff, like when we were training for Daytona, but it's like five by 10 minutes or six by 10, or we're doing, mm-hmm. you know, stuff that's broken up, but you're running at pace and, you know, taking in some fuel and you, it's basically the training reflects some of the racing out there without absolutely breaking you down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I imagine that, you know, going into 2022, we're just going to be taking those kind of base workouts that we have and just throwing them into slightly more specific St. George workouts where we know kind of the demands of the course and uh, how that affected the race. So we'll just be prepared for those kind of key decisive moments. Mm, I like that. Are you, now, you mentioned, uh, well, I mentioned, but I saw it earlier, that you use power for running. Yeah. I actually... Right. I didn't even know any of this, so you have to excuse my ignorance. But um, how is that used? You're able to see your flight off the ground or power into the ground. What is that? Yeah, so it shows up the same way that kind of a bike power would. Like you read it in watts, it's whatever, 360. Um, I can use an example of St. George. So 360 was my average throughout the whole thing. And honestly, that number on its own doesn't mean anything. Um, we took you know, each year we've just accumulated all of the workouts and we kind of know, and each year my power's kind of risen. So like back in St. or in Chattanooga, I was running, you know, 320 or so overall, we just didn't want to go over 340. Um, cause that was kind of what we saw in the workouts that, that did that. And with any sort of like kind of weight fluctuations and that it's, it's essentially like an efficiency meter. So if you can sustain that, like if, if you lose your form, you can see the watts go up. And there's also something in there called leg spring stiffness that also the, the power meter reads. And as that goes up, it's kind of like your um, reaction off the ground, kind of how it bounces off. So we kind of take a look at all of those. And I use the, the race power essentially just as a, I know about how many watts equates to a five minute mile or a five twenty mile or what I can do for a tempo run. Mm-hmm. And I use that to just help with pacing kind of early on. So in St. George, as I'm running up that first, you know, two and a half miles that are all basically uphill, uh, I can look down at my watch and I know what I did in the Collins cup, which equated to like a five twenty five mile or something like that. And my Watts are higher going up that hill. I know I'm at least in a good spot. Um, overall for what these other guys are having to push. So I think up that first two and a half miles, um, I was at about like a five minute effort pace, give or take. Um, and that, that just kind of, one, it gives confidence in like, Hey, like Mm. if these guys are running ahead of me, I can kind of take some solace in the fact that they're, they could potentially come back because this is pretty intense for a half marathon. Nobody except for maybe Jan and Gustav have run five minutes and change for, uh, a half marathon. And that's kind of what happened in Texas in that I ran my pace and even Miami. And I, I was like, this is what I'm capable of. I know that. And as I got later in the race, you know, the mileage becomes a little bit easier to wrap your brain around. And I started taking more risk. And as you know, maybe some other people are just holding on, I'm able to pick up the pace. So it's just kind of helped with that, where 
I'm not somebody who running just intuitively, I can just hit that five minute pace all the time. Uh, maybe on the bike, I can maybe know exactly what about 300 Watts feels like, but I just, I don't know if I have that exact runner's intuition all the time with the pace. So it just kind of helps provide that extra little bit of reliability. That's awesome. So what is the measuring device that actually does it? That does there's, it? A, there's a number of them out there. Um, the one that I've used uh, is just stride and it's oh, just yeah, a foot pod. Yeah. There's a number of them. There's some that sit on the side of your shoe in the laces in the, oh. um, like in the sole itself. Um, and honestly, like I think any of those, it's, it's a little bit like heart rate in a way too. It's just, you want to spend a period of time collecting the data and understanding what it means and kind of creating those zones. And then you can kind of say, okay, this is, I've seen these trends, like this is now how I can approach like a race plan with it and kind of go from there. I love that. I love that you're looking at that. Uh, It's one of those things I wish I had, you know what I mean? It's that new technology. Anybody that, any professional I'm surprised wouldn't be, I mean, don't get me wrong. There'll be times I'll be wanting to rip it off and not look at it, you know, having an emotional breakdown. But because sometimes I find like that data can dictate you a little bit more. And I was probably more of a a free feeling (laughs) athlete um, and would just go off emotion a little bit more. But I also understand the true benefits of it to uh, optimize your performance on a race day. So I, so I get it. Um, mate, there's so many more things I want to discuss here with you, but I'm going to have to move on to finish with a few questions. Can we do that? Yeah, of course. All right. Well, let's start with, um, let's start with, yeah, let's do these fun rapid fire. Well, they're not that fun, but here we go. Can you do 10 rapid fire questions? All right. I, I'm All right. usually not very rapid with rapid fire, but I'll give it a shot. <laughs> Some of these aren't that rapid actually. Yeah. All right. This one, this one is, cause you probably already know the answer out of 10. How cool would you say you are? <laughs> we're just gonna go 10 out of 10 just there we go cool. my wife there might have go. a different answer than me but i reckon you are a a i reckon I, you're one of the, the coolest guys in the sport right now. i think i've yeah. developed a bit of like the dad dorkiness just a little bit maybe i already always had it but briella just you know brings it out in me she does yeah but that makes you cool don't you understand yeah exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah. she's always gonna think that right super cool exactly all right outside of triathlon if you could choose to do anything for a day what would it be Oh, um, that's a good idea. I, I, it's basically anything outdoors, camping, surfing, um, just anything, depending on where I am in the country, I guess. Nice. Okay. That'll do. Which would you rather do? Wash dishes, mow the lawn, clean the bathroom or vacuum the house? <laughs> Can I list in the order that my wife would want me to do them? No. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I have no choice in the matter, Greg. <laughs> uh, I'm going to mow the lawn because I have artificial turf. So yeah. that's a perfect one right there. Spend the time sitting in my, my recovery <laughs> booth. Lawn, leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> Get one of those manual mowers and just do laps around. Yeah, I can't help in the house right now. I'm mowing the lawn. Mow- <laughs> <laughs> All right. Who would you want to play you in a movie of your life? Oh. I don't know. It, I mean, can I answer the question with a question? Do you have what uh, actor would you say resembles me the most? Oh, that's a good question. I didn't realize it was going to be thrown back at me. Um, <laughs> uh, well, who's somebody really good looking, super cool, very athletic? <laughs> exactly, yeah, there's nobody like me. Nobody there's nobody like me. <laughs> 
<laughs> there we I go. Ryan Reynolds seems like a cool guy. We'll there you go. Out. There you go. I like Ryan Reynolds too. I like that one. For my, I, I, I like. Um, do you, did you, um, see the show on Netflix, Peaky Blinders? Yeah, I really like that Cillian Murphy. You know the okay, yeah, yeah. I love there. that show. Yeah, very lean guy. Good. Yeah. So anyway, that's who I'd want to play me. Anyway, what dinner could you prepare? That's very special. Ooh. Oh, um, I'd say anything barbecue. I got real into you know the pandemic. We had our wedding, had a grill, so I got into kind of smoking different stuff, so like a brisket or or something like that. I love all of that. Love it. That's one of my favorite things about the US is that barbecue type food, the brisket type oh, stuff. Yeah. All right. Here's another one for, on that. Um, three guests, non-family, you would invite to that barbecue. Oh, these questions, uh, you know, I don't always have somebody who's on the list, but just, I, I guess anybody who's like at top of their game, um, mm-hmm. I was kind of, I know, I knew something like this would maybe be coming, but so I was kind of thinking someone like Mike Tyson, um, you know, let's just throw out, uh, the rock and then, Good one. uh, the third one, honestly, it could be dealer's choice. Um, I'm not super picky when it comes to this, just someone along those lines who's kind of like top of their game. Um, Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, if you can't find anyone on top of the game, I'm more than happy to take this. <laughs> yeah, you come on. You can, yeah. <laughs> we'll have some great stories then. Yeah. That'll be great. All right. What is your favorite thing about your career? Oh, I think honest, I mean, my wife, honest, I, she's going to keep coming up in this, but the best thing to come out of the Olympics was her and the life that we created after it. So I'd say like from that, that's even like all of the places that we've traveled, things that we've gotten to do. Uh, honestly, triathlon has been super good to me. So that's, mm. yeah. You and me both mate to walk away with a few victories, have a professional athletic career and get a beautiful wife out of it. We're very lucky men. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, that's a r- lovely shout out to Courtney. So uh, good on you. Uh, what motivates you to work hard? You know, uh, you're, you talked a little bit about the calmness. Um, but I, you know, I think it's that pursuit of, of perfection almost. There's that, those races where you want everything to come together, where it just flows. You've come, you, you come close. And I think I've had a couple that are, are nearly there, but just where everything clicks and it might not be perfect overall. There's obviously going to be stuff that goes wrong, but where you're just in that flow, you're racing, you're in the moment. And then the result follows as well. And it's that just alignment of the stars. I think that, you know, whether, even if it's, you know, sometimes it's a training day, but just that's what you kind of look for. That's why we keep going back. That's why you weather all the bad days is to just, you're trying to find that kind of perfect moment. God, that's a great answer. Chicks in my high state of flow. Find that, find that. Yeah. And I think you, as professional athletes, you're always searching for it. And triathlon is very hard to find it. And I think I've described, I've done probably, I did probably 500 plus races. And I think I probably touched on it, nudged on it maybe five times. <laughs> you know, it was like, oh, that was a real, that was a race from start to finish or a training. I think I got it more in training, but yeah, but it happens on a race day. That's special. All right. Greatest movie of all time. Top Gun. <laughs> I mean, rapid fire. Now that's rapid fire. That's rapid fire. <laughs> I, I got to have that one on tag. There's a lot of movies out there, but what's one that has, you know, fighter jets, romance, um, all of it? Is there, Top Gun's got a little bit of everything for everyone. 
Oh, that's brilliant. I love it. All right. Uh, what is one of the best or most worthwhile investments you've made ever? And that could be investing in money, time, energy, relationships. That's a tough one. I haven't really thought about that. Um, well, you already gave the answer. I would say, yeah. You already gave the answer. Yeah. I, I really think I, I think people undervalue their time because there's, yeah. a, there's a point in time too where you just you have a lot of stuff going on and um, you really want to make the most of uh, whatever your priorities are, like family, training, like all of that stuff. And um, I think time, yeah, is, is kind of the most precious investment in how you spend it that you can do. I like that. I saw a quote the other day. Um, it said, if you could give your life up now for an 80-year-old with $100 million and you had to swap your life, would you take it? Now, I think very few people are going to say, yes, I'll take be 80 and $100 million. And it really gives perspective on understanding actually time is the most valuable asset you have yeah, yeah and how you manage it. All right. Which decade of music is best? I'm the worst person to ask for that. You look at my Spotify and I'm all over the place. Um, yeah, I'm going to go with uh, early 2000s back to like, Biggie Smalls and in, in that era of like 90s, early 2000s rap. Wow. And we were getting along so well. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I know. Oh, so, dear me. People would really disagree with that. But <laughs> that's okay. Oh. I, I'm not the music expert. That's the other half of my family. That's my brothers. They, <laughs> maybe everybody will get along better with them. They'll come and listen. I don't have any records at my house. I'm not that. I'm You're not, not that musically tip. inclined. Maybe my 10 out of 10 coolness just went down a couple it of It did times. a little bit, actually. Yeah. I think <laughs> I'm going to have to bring you down to a 9.5. Yeah. You, you've mentioned your brother. Are they older or younger than you? Uh, younger, both younger. younger. Okay, so you got two younger brothers. Good on them. Are they still? Are they doing anything to do with sport now, or are they sort of shifted on? Uh, they they dabble a little bit. One of my brothers actually, um, this the one who went to swim in college. He he does swims like he's really into hiking and kind of explore riding around Seattle. And he he hikes and then swims like up at the glacier lakes that are up at the top of the hikes and stuff. Oh, so yeah, he's, he's into that sort of stuff, which is pretty yeah, cool. That's cool. All right, mate. Well, let's finish with two big questions. All right. Can we do that? Yeah. Here we go. What is one tip you have for people on how to optimize their life? Hmm. Yeah, I would say optimizing life. That's, uh, I, I think it goes back to the time. Yeah. I, I think he's already answered that. As I read it, he's already answered that. Yeah. That's the hardest thing I think is just knowing how to spend your time. Mm, mm. Managing your time. It's a worthy tool. All right. If you could sit and have a coffee with any living person, who would it be and why? Yeah. This goes back to the dinner one. And um, you know what I, I thought of too? I'll answer this, but um, I'm assuming most people answer this in, you know, people who are inspiring, who have been through a lot, accomplished a lot. And honestly, I'm not super picky. I think anybody like that, kind of like your podcast is just interesting to talk to. Mm -hmm. um, but how many people do you think kind of go the opposite direction? Like, have you ever watched the Netflix show Mindhunter about the FBI agents who mm. uh, like yep, interview yep. serial killers? Yes. Um, yes. How many people do you think would want to go and interview somebody like that just out of like kind of morbid curiosity almost? And that's the person they'd have a cup of coffee with. 
Well, I, I haven't had anybody yet, but yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to start. That's not going to be me. <laughs> but no, but I want to go back. I think uh, I actually think Mike Tyson would be super cool to talk to. I, it would change probably next week if he asked me. But like just his his uh, kind of polar opposite personalities of like the ferocity in the boxing ring of like coming to a point almost where like he doesn't want to go back because of how like unleashing the beast, like of how how intense he was to mm-hmm. being like, you know, raising racing pigeons and just like being this like gentle, like seemingly, you know, I don't know the guy, but like really nice person that, you know, people say good things about, like there's, there's that polar opposite that I think is like somebody who just turned it on and could be like the best, one of the best ever. And then kind of step back and just be, you know, kind of the opposite he was in the ring. That's mm-hmm. kind of a, an interesting dynamic, I think. It is, to, isn't it? To be so uh, ferocious. Yeah. And then be somebody uh, with pigeons. Just, I mean, yeah, that is incredible. All right. Well, that'll be an interesting coffee time. Yeah. Let's exactly. that one up for you. All right, mate. What's next? What do you got going on now? now you've got yeah. The three worlds done. What's happening the rest of the year? Uh, I'm, so I'm just coming off of a pretty chill week. And then I'm looking at the LA try and then Oceanside 70.3 double. And after that, the only race that's really catching my eye on the calendar would be Clash Daytona at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. So those are kind of the three. And then it's really just figuring out like what would be best for me when the break is and when to you know build into 2022 and hopefully enjoying the holidays and everything. Oh, well, good, man. This has been really fantastic, Ben. I really enjoyed this. And uh, you've, you've given so much of you your knowledge on this one. I, I didn't even have to pry too much. You were very forthcoming and I really appreciate that. And I, I'm sure all the listeners do as well. So mate, thanks so much for, for coming on the show and uh, really appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah. I enjoyed it as well. Yeah. Brilliant, mate. And I have to have you back because I think there's so many more, I had to skip over a fair bit here, but you know, I wanted to talk to you more about some of your mental strategies and things like that, because I know that's been important to you, but we're going to have to wait till next time because this show has been a bit longer and uh, I appreciate everybody for listening um, because some of these were just fantastic. Your, your, your stories and everything were fantastic. So everybody, thanks for listening. Um, you can find the show uh, show notes and timestamps and links and coupon codes at bennettendurance.com forward slash media. Thanks again, everybody for listening and thank you, Ben. Thanks a lot for listening to Be With Champions. If you enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Be With Champions Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.